Are you ready for God's Word today? Yeah, all right. Well, we're starting a new series today called the Bible Series. Yes, I wanted to pick a title that you couldn't get confused on what I was talking about. And so we're starting a series called the Bible Series. Now, I have preached about the Bible. I've preached about the Word of God many times. In fact, I've been preaching messages from the Bible since I was about 18, so at least 10 years. And um, don't... Okay, that was mean. You should not have laughed. You should have said, oh, yes. And so um, anyways, and so I preach a lot of messages. And usually I talk um, from one perspective, which is kind of the perspective that we all believe the Bible, trust the Bible, understand the Bible, or, or mostly. And I want to do this series a little bit differently. And so some of it is more apologetics. Um, which is just to give an answer to, because I, you know, being on, I have teenagers, so, you know, I understand TikTok a little bit, and I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and so I understand social media, and there is just a lot of um, heretical, um, terrible theology, and I laugh because there's these young kids because um, my kids will show me, and they're like, oh, I, I just found out today Constantine decided the books in the Bible in the 5th century. And I'm like, well, the date's wrong, and no, he didn't. And, and, and what I laugh about is I'm like, honey, you're 17. God bless you. You think there have been people, the Bible has been the most attacked and dissected book in the history of the world. And you think you're the one that just figured it out, that why the Bible's no, not true. Because you passed geometry this year and figured out what no one else has figured out in, you know, 2,000 years almost. Okay, well, good for you. So anyways, but, but the problem is people don't know and they listen to it and it sounds credible. And there's a lot of people that can't, number one, they're, you know, especially in one generation, we have generations doubting whether the Bible can be trusted, whether it's valid. Um, and then what I understand, I was raised like the Bible's the word of God. We believe all the Bible. Uh, if you're old King James, you understand this phrase, every jot and tittle. How many of that made sense to you? Yes. If you're NIV, it's every mark and stroke. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, if you're, if you're King James, uh, jot and tittle are the two small, the, well, if you go to the Greek, it's the two smallest marks you can make uh, in the Hebrew language. And so when Jesus is saying every jot and tittle, he's saying every little mark. In other words, every I dotted, every T crossed everybody. That's what he's saying. Um, and so we, we believe the table of contents was almost inspired. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like the maps were there. They were holy. Like if it was between the covers, we believe that stuff. You understand what I'm saying? And we didn't doubt or question it because I, we were raised that way. We have a generation uh, asking questions. I think we need to answer questions. In fact, that's what apologetics is. And, and I'm not going to, the whole sermon is not going to be apologetics or anything like that. But it's just to give answer to the questions. That's, that's what it actually means. Um, and so I actually, because I'm doing that, every uh, message title is a question. So I just thought I'm going to ask questions and I'm going to answer the questions. And I will say, uh, when we did the survey uh, at Easter and then the You Asked For It series, the biggest questions, the most questions I, I received uh, were about the Bible, how to study the Bible, it, can we trust it, is it true, those type of things. Great questions, and so we're going to answer them together. So, so today, if you're attached to culture and you're in culture and you're like, yeah, I've got some questions and, and I'm, you know, maybe I'm doubting some things even in myself, this, this series is going to help you tremendously. But if you're here and you're like me and you were raised like, no, by God, the table of contents, I think, were, was breathed by the Holy Spirit. Like, I mean, praise the Lord, you know, even though we know men broke it 
could end the chapters and verses and put the table of content. But still, if you think the concordance was conspired, everybody, all right, then you're with me. But this is going to help you understand. I think it's going to increase your faith. And what I really want to happen throughout this whole series is for people to get hungry for the Word of God, trust the Word of God, and, and then go to the Word of God, study it, and let it build your faith. And so uh, that's my goal. So uh, today, if you want to, I don't, I don't really... I'm not going to start with a text per se because I'm going to jump right in. All right, does that make sense? And I'm going to read lots of scripture as we go. And so if you would, uh, let's just pray. But today I'm going to, I'm going to answer the question, can the Bible be trusted? Can the Bible be trusted? And so let's pray today. God, we just thank you so much for the word of God. God, we thank you for the word, for the Bible, for what you've given us, and Lord, that we can gather in your presence. Lord, I believe it was inspired, and God, I ask that you would speak today, and Lord, for those in the room that may have doubts or questions or curiosities, God, I pray you're going to speak to them. And then, God, for, for some of us who are just really concrete and really steadfast and sure about the word of God, Lord, you're going to help us understand even more and even be able to give an answer to uh, the questions of our time uh, and culture. And so, God, we just ask for your help today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Can the Bible be trusted? Well, obviously the answer is yes, but, but that we can't just say yes. We have to provide an answer. And so I've got seven points today. <laughs> seven points. <laughs> We're going to be here till the Super Bowl, everybody. Um, and so you're going to want to take notes, all right? And if you've never taken notes before, you're going to want to take notes, whether you're trying to type them in your phone or whether you're downloading my notes from the app or whether you're writing them. Uh, but here we go. Are you ready? Number one, can the Bible be trusted? Number one, let's talk about why. Yes, it can, because number one, the Bible is historically accurate. The Bible is historically accurate. I want you to think about this. The Bible is not a history book. But there are lots of historical references in the Bible. And again, and, and you'll hear me say this again later, but you have to re realize the Bible was written over a span of about 15 to 1600 years, roughly from 1400 BC to 90 or so is the conclusion of the New Testament, 90 or so uh, AD. So a good 1500 years, some put it at 1600, I like 1500 um, because it's kind of like from Moses till John closes out uh, Revelation. Um, and so, so it spans 1,500 years, and, and it covers kings and kingdoms, and all types of historical events are found in the narrative of Scripture. And here's what you have to realize, and we'll talk about this again, but it's written uh, over, with over 40 different authors. And when you look at the historicity of the Bible and what it covers and what it entails and details, here's what we'd say. Well, how could that many guys write over that greatest span of time and, and all the history be right? Well, that gives us some accuracy, the fact that all the history is actually true. Um, but also, there is when, when we're determining historical facts, everybody, there's a threefold test that historians run everything through to decide, is this a legitimate historical record or not? Number one is eyewitness accounts. Well, the whole Bible is eyewitness accounts. You realize that, right? Um, in fact, the Bible is written in phenomenological language. That's, that's a $3 um, 
theological word, if you will. If you want to go to Bible school, they'll teach you that for about 10 grand. Um, then that's the first semester. But, um, but anyways, phenomenological language is just a big word that just says this, this is the language of observation. In other words, it's how things looked. Right, and so some people will try to discount the Bible because they the Bible will say, you know, uh, it will make a statement about maybe the sun moving through the sky, and it does. The Bible talks about the sun rises and sets, but it also talks about the sun moving in the sky. And people say, aha, 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 the Bible is incorrect because that's wrong. Well, no, it's not wrong if you're standing there still and you're not a scientist, right? And you watch, it looks like the sun moves. It's the language of observation, everybody. And so everything about the Bible, the Gospels and everything we have, is most of it is eyewitness accounts. And they can be um, verified with writings outside of the Bible to some degree what these eyewitnesses saw. And the fact that they were real people that saw these things. So eyewitness accounts. And number two is that they're recorded with um, extreme scrutiny. And I think this is why God used the, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, um, to give us the Bible because they, they were so meticulous in the way they copied things. Uh, in fact, the Pentateuch, so if you hear the word Pentateuch, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, right? Um, and in fact, it's just Bible language. If you hear Septuagint, that's the Pentateuch in Greek, okay? Does that make sense? It's the Greek does that make sense? Everybody tracking? So you hear these terms. Sometimes people throw out terms like, what does that mean? So Pentateuch's the first five books, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers, right? So, so, that's, so when they copied it, they, this, the scribes, they would copy it not word by word, not thought by thought. They copied it letter by letter. And they knew the middle letter in the first five books in the Pentateuch. And when they finished the copy they would count from that middle letter both ways and the letter count had to be spot on for it to be a legitimate copy. And I think that's why God used the Jewish nation. One of the reasons is because they were so meticulous. And, and here's, for the longest time, you know, some of the old copies, like I think um, some, of the, some of the older copies of the, of the Old Testament or the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, etc., you know, we're, we're newer in age. Um, but if you remember when we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, so the, the, the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls is like 1946, 1956. And when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, it had copies of the, of the Pentateuch in the Old Testament that went all the way back to 300 or, or the third century before Christ. So three, about 300 years before Christ. So, so we have dated versions now of the Old Testament before Christ, and it confirmed the thousands of copies that we had because they're like, man, the copies we had were spot on. And so, so it's, it's incredibly accurate. And then the third test is archaeological finds. So we've got eyewitnesses, right? And, and then we've got this meticulous uh, care in, trans, in copying, and then we have archaeological finds. And you think about this, all the stuff in the Bible, so we have all these historical events in the Bible. Well, how do we confirm them? Well, they've confirmed all of them in the Bible through archaeological finds. So everything the Bible talks about, come on, somebody, everything the Bible talks about, we know is true. Now, there was one exception, and that was the Hittite Empire. 
And so for hundreds of years, there was no proof of the Hittite empire. And so that was kind of one of the chinks in the armor. People say, well, the Hittite empire, the Bible, you know, the Bible talks about the Hittites, but there's no proof of the Hittite empire. But in 1934, come on, somebody, a French scholar actually found the first ruins of the Hittite empire. Um, I'm sorry, 1834. It wasn't recognized until after 1900 as, no, this was the Hittite empire. And so everything that the Bible talks about, as far as his, history, um, we've confirmed it through archaeology and other finds. Psalm 33, 4, come on somebody, for the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. So number one is, is, is historically accurate. Here's number two, the Bible is scientifically accurate. The Bible is scientifically accurate. In fact, the Bible was more accurate about science than science was. For real. I think there's a lot of things that are questioned in our culture today in terms of biology and things that the Bible can really clear up easily. And, if we'll, and, and there's a lot of things going on in our world. If we just go back to the Bible. Let, let me give you some examples. But here's what you have to understand. See, science is really the, the, it's, it's the study of, of creation. It's the study of, bi, you know, it's whatever we're studying. So science is studying it, right? But God doesn't study it. He made it. So when God writes, writes it down, like, I don't know about you, but if you've ever had to take apart a refrigerator or, or a car or something like that, right, you had to study it to figure out how does this, how does this come? We were moving a refrigerator yesterday. This is the best analogy I can come up with. We were moving a refrigerator yesterday. We had to take the doors off the refrigerator to get it out of the house. I don't know if you've ever had the joy of moving a refrigerator. Hey, praise the Lord, somebody. And, and so uh, we had to, and so here's the thing, I studied and studied on how to take the doors apart because, you know, the goal is to put them back on when you're done. And I'm good at demolition, but putting things back together sometimes can be a challenge for me because I'm not patient enough to understand how I took it apart, everybody. But anyways, I studied and studied and I couldn't figure out how to get the door off because it had the ice maker and the water and has all the plugs and all the you know, the water line and all that. And so you know what I did? We found the owner's manual, everybody. And what I realized is the people that made it, they didn't study it. They just told us how it was. And after 30 minutes of studying it and still not figuring out, when I went back to the manual, it's like clip, pop, bang, we're ready to go. We took it apart and put it back together. Praise God for his power and miracles every day, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and so you have to understand our science. When you think about science throughout the, the hundreds of years, science changes. In fact, if you've been to the Louvre, uh, I've been to the Louvre, and they have uh, miles of science books that are outdated. They're not even accurate anymore. In fact, they have one that's called um, 51 Incontro... In in oh, gosh. I used to could say this word. Incontro... <laughs> Incontrovertible. Incontrovertible. I can't say it. Do y'all know what that word is? All right. I could say it this morning, but I can't say it now. Incontrovertible. Come on, somebody. <laughs> There's a Pentecostal watching online, thought I was speaking in tongues, and they had the translation, everybody. The Lord would say unto thee. No, he didn't. I'm just trying to say incontrovertible. <laughs> I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> incontrovertible 
51 incontrovertible scientific facts that prove the Bible is wrong. This is a real book in the Louvre. 51 incontrovertible, but, but here's the thing. They've all been controverted. <laughs> Let me give you some things science has claimed throughout the years that the Bible, if we'd have paid attention, would have told us it was wrong. So science said the earth was flat. Remember, this was believed for you know, almost thousands of years the earth was flat. But Isaiah 40, 22 says God sits above the circle of the earth. The word circle is where we get the word sphere. So, so Isaiah... Uh, and Isaiah prophesied, you know, 700 or so years before Christ. Um, Isaiah said, no, God sits above the sphere of the earth. It's a sphere. It's not flat. Um, then then this was, um, the earth had to be held up. And if you think about this, the Hindus believe that the earth was held up by an elephant that sat on the back of a sea turtle that sat on the back of a serpent. Because that's not confusing. Um, the Greeks, you know, the Greeks thought the earth sat on Atlas's shoulders and, and even the Egyptians, who were incredibly smart, they thought the earth sat on four pillars. But if they wanted to, they could have just read Job. Job, by the way, chronologically, is the oldest book in the Bible. It was the first book ever written, technically, as far as how it dates. In fact, Job actually would fall probably somewhere between the, what is it, like the third and the fifth chapters of Genesis. But this is what Job said, Job 26 7 says, he spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. And look, you know what science finally came to? No, the earth's suspended out there. It's, right? Here, here was one that um, they believe the stars could be, scientists believe the stars could be uh, counted. Uh, 150 B.C., Hipparchus, uh, who was a Greek astronomer, uh, cataloged the stars, and his first catalog was, uh, 850, and then his second catalog was 1,022, but he's like, I've counted all the stars. 300 years later, Ptolemy, a Roman astrologer, said, no, you missed some. It's actually 1,056 stars. And, uh, but what, what does science tell us today? No, you, you can't number the stars. Jeremiah 32, 22, the stars of the sky cannot be counted. <laughs> and then you guys remember this one, too much blood will make you sick. Remember when, in fact, this is what killed President George Washington. Remember this? Because they believed too much blood. Uh, if you had sickness, sometimes it was because of, typically it came down to bile or, or phlegm or blood, and they said you have too much of these fluids, and so they did this thing called bloodletting, right? You remember this? Where, where they would actually, you know, pull blood out of your body to make you well, and it's actually what killed George Washington, our president. Um, and if they would have just read Leviticus 17, 11, it says, for the life of flesh is in the blood. In other words, don't take the blood out if you want it to live. Are you with me? And so the Bible is actually scientifically um, accurate. Here's number three. You write this down. It is prophetically accurate, everybody. You got to think about the risk, the Bible, if you, if you would play, play devil's advocate just for a minute. And uh, the risk that God took using men to prophesy and making that scripture. Because really all you need is one prophecy that's not fulfilled. And it throws in question the credibility of the word of God. By the way, in the Bible, there are over a thousand prophecies. And so far, God hadn't missed on one of them. Right? I mean, it kind of it blows the mind when you think about over a thousand 
prophecies, and, and, and like here's you some prophetical facts, everybody. Isaiah and Micah prophesied 700 years before Jesus was born about Jesus, about that he'd be born in a virgin birth, um, and what city Micah prophesied literally 700 years before Jesus where he'd be born. Zechariah prophesied Jesus would die by crucifixion. David wrote about crucifixion 1,000 years before anybody had been crucified or before Jesus was crucified, 500 years before anyone had been crucified, and he describes it, and so does Isaiah. Daniel writes 500 years, uh, so think about this, 500 years before Christ, Daniel writes, and Daniel writes about this one massive empire, this kingdom, that's this one kingdom, and it just takes over everything. And then it's suddenly cut off and turns into four. Then it turns into two. Then it turns into one, and then the Messiah comes. Now, that's Daniel's prophecy, roughly 500 B.C., all right? So one big kingdom turns into four, turns into two, turns into one, and then the Messiah comes, right? That's, I mean, that's pretty good, right? I wonder if that happened. Well, it did. Alexander the Great. Greatest king of 300 BC became the biggest. I mean, is Alexander the Great, everybody? At 32 years old, he's killed his four generals, divide his kingdom into four kingdoms or four empires. Those then merge into the Seleucid and Ptolemaic empires or kingdoms. Those then become the Roman Empire, and then Jesus is born. And so it's, it's, it's there in, in the Bible. And then you just look at the person of Christ. So Dr. Peter Stoner. Um, he was he's like an expert in, in the world of probabilities. Y'all remember this from school? So like there are 10 apples in a jug, in a bucket, and one of them is green and the others are red. What's the probability that if you reach in, you'll pull out the green one and not one of the red ones? What's the probability of getting, right? Some of you are like, your eyes are rolling back in your head. Like, dear God, pastor, don't take me back to that. <laughs> Only thing worse than prob probabilities is statistics, everybody. You ever study? Yeah. Four out of five people don't want to be a statistic, but they just became one. Um, so, uh, but he was emeritus professor of science at Westmont College. He did a study with 600 other researchers, and they wanted to study the probability that one person could fulfill, in other words, that one person, being Christ, could fulfill. Uh, all the prophecies about Christ. Now, some people say there are 300 messianic prophecies. I, to me, there are 54 messianic prophecies, but there are 300 messianic references in the Old Testament, okay? And that was kind of what they came to. So there's about 50 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. And he said, what is the probability that one person could somehow fulfill these 50 things that were spoken about them and how they would be born and how they would die. But, you know, hundreds of years before, what's the probability that one person could do this? Well, when they looked at it, they said, this is too much. I mean, 54, that's, that's too much. They said, let's narrow it down. So they took eight. And the eight they picked are events that you, confirm, you can confirm outside of Scripture. For instance, a Roman census when Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, that's, that's it's in the Bible, but it's historical data. Does that make sense? There was a man, in fact, we, we actually, some people will say, I don't know, was Jesus alive? You understand, we have more historical writings outside of the Bible, not just counting the Bible. I mean, just the New Testament, uh, we have uh, about 26,000 copies. I mean, we have more, guys, we have more copies of the New Testament than any other writing in antiquity. 
And there are more references to Jesus than, than Plato or Socrates, yet we say, no, there was a Plato and there was a Socrates and people doubt Jesus. We have a lot more writings about Jesus than we do those outside of the Bible, everybody. And so they said, we're going to take, take eight that we can confirm with history and not just the Bible. And we're going to take these eight and we're going to study the probability that one person could fulfill, not 54, just eight of them. So when they studied it, this is what they got the probability down to. This is what it would be. One in 10 to the 17th power would be the odds that one person could fulfill eight prophecies. That's one with 17 zeros, meaning we don't have a, we don't have a word for that. Now, because that you know, is hard for some of us to wrap our minds around, here, here is a picture of the probability. It's what it would look like. If you had that many silver dollars, one in you know, 10 to the 17th power, a one with 17 zeros after it, if you had that many silver dollars, it would cover the state of Texas two foot deep in silver dollars. Have y'all ever driven across Texas? Man, I took my son to college. We drove. We spent one day driving. We were still in Texas. Come on, the stars at night, everybody. Everything's bigger and better in Texas, right? So we drove. <laughs> I just did that to get at Jana because she's an OU fan, everybody. But I mean, you know, it was one of the things. I, we're praying. Anyways, um, <laughs> but if you can imagine the state of Texas, guys, being, being two foot deep in silver dollars and one of them being marked, and they're going to take you, blindfold you, fly you across the state of Texas in a helicopter until you say stop and lower you down, and then you're going to reach into the two foot of silver dollars wherever you may be, blindfolded, and pick one, and it be the marked one. That's the same probability that one person could fulfill, not 54, but eight messianic prophecies. Yet Jesus fulfilled, we know, 54. Are you with me? So it's... It's prophetically accurate. Look at 2 Peter 1.21. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Revelation 22.6. The angel said to me, these words are, come on somebody, trustworthy and true. Can the Bible be trusted? The angel said they're trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. So it is prophetically accurate. Here's the fourth thing. Write this down. Uh, the Bible was trusted by Jesus. Now, you can actually argue this two ways. What I mean by that is if you believe in Jesus, this is easy. Jesus trusted the Bible. And by the way, I need to say this for Christians because here's some more stupid TikTok theology. The Old Testament isn't really real. The Old Testament isn't relative. And we just need to follow the teachings of Jesus. Jesus quoted 24 books of the Old Testament and called them Scripture. You understand every time Jesus talks about Scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament. You cannot love Jesus and hate the Old Testament. 
Are you with me? You can't follow Jesus and throw out the Old Testament. You can say, I don't understand it. You can say, I'm not really clear on what it means. But Jesus was concrete. There are 27 books. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. 27 of them, or 29 of them, are quoted in the New Testament. Jesus quoted from 24 of them. So you can't throw out, you can't keep Jesus and throw out the Old Testament. Sorry, can't do it. Horrible theology, right? Because Jesus is the fulfillment. He said, I didn't come to do away with the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Are you with me? Okay, just so we're all on the same page on that deal. So you can argue, number one, if you're a Christian, it's like, well, Jesus trusted the Bible, so should I. Jesus trusted the scripture, so should I. Um, and so you would look. But then if you, if you, if you wanted to step outside of that, um, and say, well, well, how do I, why does that matter that Jesus, you know, trusted the Bible? Well, number one, you start with the fact that, Je- we, we can start with this, Jesus was a man, okay? And most people say, yes, history tells us Jesus was a man, right? Well, then Jesus performed miracles. History tells us that too, right? Uh-huh, yeah. And then Jesus was a messenger, right? He had a message, and Jesus' message, part of it was the Bible is the Word of God. So we have a man who worked miracles, claimed to be a messenger from God, and, and that man said the Bible is the Word of God. So not circular reasoning because we're just starting with a historical figure. Are you with me? In fact, uh, I love this, John 3, 2. Remember what Nicodemus said? He said, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And then Jesus taught that the Bible was the word of God. In fact, Matthew 5, 18, for truly I tell you until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter nor the smallest stroke, there's your jot and tittle if you're you're a King James person, will by any means disappear from the law until everything's um, accomplished. So Jesus trusts the Bible. But, and, and then if you went this way, you go this way, you can start with a historically accurate, scientifically accurate Bible. It's not, say it's not inspired. Just say it's the Bible. And, it, and it's accurate in, in its prophecy and it's accurate as history and it's accurate because there are other, how many know there are other writings that claim to be inspired like the book of, you know, the Quran claims to be inspired. The, the, the writings of, or the, pre, the sermons of Buddha or whatever claims to be inspired. All right, well, the Bible, so to start with, it's not the Word of God, just start with it's accurate, right? Because people that study it, even atheist professors will tell you, no, it's accurate. Like, what is predicted has come true. <laughs> History, historically, it's accurate. Scientifically, it's accurate. So you, talk, you start with a reliable Bible, right? So I have a reliable Bible, but then I have an authoritative Jesus who taught with authority, who did miracles, who had a message, right? And he is a historical figure. So now I have a reliable Bible and I have an historical figure. And then that historical figure does miracles, which can be validated through history, not just the Bible. And then that historical figure also tells us the Bible is the word of God. So either way, I have to, I have to rectify those things. I have to reconcile that either way. And so here's what I want you to understand. Jesus believed in and entrusted the Bible and taught that the Bible was the word of God. Are are you with me? And then number five, here's number five. Are you ready? The Bible is thematically unified. 
So remember what we said. The Bible was written, we'll say, over 1,500 years from about 14 B.C. to 90 A.D., so about 1,500 years. I'm sorry. The Bible was written over about 1,500 years. It was written by, it was written, it had one author, right, but 40 different writers. So we have 40 men over the course of 1,500 years on three continents in 12 countries in three languages. And they all wrote, and those writings were canonized or accepted as the Bible. And we'll talk about how we, we'll answer the question, by the way, later in the series, how do we know we have the right Bible? Because there's a lot of people, how do we know I have the right Bible? We're going to answer that question. But think about that. 1,500 years, 40 writers, three countries, three languages. I'm sorry, 12 countries, three continents, three languages. Yet there's not a contradiction. And I know people say, but TikTok said there was. So far, no, there's not. Not a contradiction. And, and if there's an error, we can find it as a scribal error. Like in one place it says David killed 700 chariots. And then Chronicles, it says 7,000. And we know that was a clerical error, right? And it doesn't change because here's where the contradiction would be valid, right? The contradiction would be if, you know, we were supposed to follow Jesus and then we were supposed to follow somebody else or if the truth didn't align, right? So, so all the thousands of years of history and life and happenings, and here's the thing, we have one constant theme, and we have one Savior who's in every book. And it was written by all these different people with all these different personalities in all these different places and all these different time frames. And yet the Bible doesn't contradict its truth. It's consistent. It doesn't contradict its theme. It's consistent. And Jesus is in it all the way through. He, he shows up in Genesis and he's there all the way through Revelation. It's, I mean, just think about this. I mean, just, just the uniformity, consistency, and congruency of the text is unfathomable how these 40 different men written in all these different places, and it would be this consistent. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Luke 24, 27, and, and beginning, this is when Jesus, think about this, Jesus meets the two disciples on the road to Aramaeus after his resurrection, and, and he says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. In other words, this is what he said. He took them all the way back to Genesis. And let me say, he, he, he didn't tell them who he was until the, you know, they had communion, essentially. And anyways, but he said, I'm going to go all the way back to Genesis to show you I was in every book. And he walked them through the whole Bible. That had to be a great Bible study, by the way. When Jesus comes to lead your Bible study about himself in the Bible, that's pretty cool. And so it's thematically. Here's number six. It survived all the attacks. It survived uh, every, every attack. Um, Josh McDowell wrote this. The Bible is the most despised, derated, uh, denied, disputed, dissected, debated, outlawed, and destroyed book in history. And that's true. They've tried, they've tried to destroy all the Bibles a couple times in history. And yet, even with that, it's still here. All the people that's tried to discredit it can't. All the people that's tried to disprove it haven't. It's still a bestseller, everybody. Right? There's still copies being printed left and right today. And it has survived. In fact, I like this. Um, there was uh, this French guy, uh, Voltaire, and uh, uh, he was um, a philosopher. He died uh, in the 18th century, 
And he made the statement essentially saying, in a hundred years, no one will even know the Bible existed. That's what he said. Now, he died in the 18th century, everybody. Did I mention the 18th century? So in the 1700s, everybody understand where I'm at? You know, a couple hundred years ago. Um, what's really cool, though, is the French Bible Society, after he died, bought his house. And so his house is now the French Bible Society, everybody. And um, he's gone. The Bible's still here. Come on, somebody. First Peter 1.24 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever, everybody. Now, here's the seventh point, right? You didn't think I'd make it. Here's the seventh point. I deserve, I don't know, something. At least at least a candy bar or something. I don't know. Anyways. The Bible is, and, and this is how I worded the point, and this makes sense. The Bible is experientially powerful. Meaning you can experience the power of the Bible. You can. Not, not someone else. Anyone can. Um, in fact, we know how powerful the Word of God is because... Remember, even Jesus used the power of the Word of God when he was tempted by the enemy. Because what did Jesus say? It is written. By the way, he is quoting the Old Testament. Like Satan comes and he's hungry and he's tempting Jesus. He says, hey, you turn this stone into bread and have you something to eat. And Jesus says, it is written, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He used the power of the Word of God to overcome the enemy. And so the Bible is powerful, and you can experience the power of it. John 8, 31, verse 32, it says, The Jews who believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, everybody underline that in your Bible, If you hold to my teaching, you are my disciples, then you will know the truth. Look at this. And the truth will make you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Listen, truth doesn't make you free, the truth you know. By the way, that word know um, is the best picture I can give you is from Genesis, where it says Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore a son. So that, how many know that wasn't information? That was an experience, somebody. Come on, where are my married people at? That was an experience, everybody. That wasn't information, right? And so when, what, what, what Jesus is saying, when you experience the truth, then the truth will make you free. This is what I want for you, is what he said right here. How do I experience the truth? If you hold to my teachings. If you hold to my teachings. Let go of TikTok and hold to his teachings. Are you with me? And this is what I, this is my heart for you today and through this series, to be honest. Can we hold on to the teachings of Jesus? Can we hold on to the words of Scripture? Because it is truly sacred. It was given to us by God. As men were moved by the Holy Spirit, so we have the words of God. We are not reading words on a page. We are not reading Sports Illustrated, the magazine. We're not eating, reading whatever women read. 
That's not what we're reading. We are reading the words of God. And when we open the Bible, we're not looking just for information. Like I've given you information because there's a place and the Bible gives us information and that's true. But we're not trying to get information. It has given us not just information, it has given us inspiration. Come on, somebody. It is, it is alive and living and active and powerful, the writer of Hebrews says. Paul would tell Timothy, it was breathed by God's very breath. And when you open it, I think this is why so many people are struggling in their, in, in their lives today. You feel like I'm being suffocated because you have to open the word of God and take in the breath of God. And it is living and it is powerful. And if it is living as powerful and you take it in, it will make you alive and it will make you powerful. Are you with me? And so here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying. In a world where the Bible is under attack, could we just decide they can attack it we're going to live by it. In a world where everyone is deconstructing it, would we decide, no, we will defend it because it is the word of God. We will give answer to our faith. We will understand the word of God. We will study it and show ourselves approved, right? Just as the word of God says. And in a world that's saying, where culture is saying, follow me and follow culture. Can we say, no, I'm not going to follow the world. I'm going to follow the word. Can we do that, everybody? And so what I'm saying is if you don't have a reading plan, you can go to version and get a reading plan. You can start by reading the gospel of John. But I want everybody in our church reading the Bible every day. I don't care if it's one verse, right? You read, if you get you a devotional and it starts with a, with, a, with a verse, not a part of verse, we're going to talk about how to study the Bible later in the series, right? But I want everybody reading the Word of God because it's alive, because it's powerful, and because you can experience the power of the Word of God when you take it in daily. Are you with me, everybody? Can the Bible be trusted? Absolutely it can. It's historically accurate, scientifically accurate, prophetically accurate. Jesus trusted it. Thematically, it's consistent. It survived every attack, and you can personally experience the power of it. Amen? Come on, give God praise, everybody. Why don't you stand with me? You guys are awesome. I love you all. Hey, our lives are going to be changed in this series because, and I know many of our people, many people in the church, I know you read the Bible, and I do too, and I know you, but man, God's going to give us a fresh hunger. He's going to give us some fresh insights, and we're going to hold on to the Word of God, and we're going to be changed by it. Amen? Man, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come, and I'm going to pray. I know some of you are going to leave here, and you're going to go down to uh, CORE today in Suite 109, and if you want to go to CORE, uh, Core is going to be talking today about how uh, God sees you, I think, and then how we see God, and then it'll get to the Bible. It's a four-week class, but if you're not, you can go to Suite 109 today if you want to join. I know some of you will, um, but guys, we're, we're going deeper, amen? We're going deeper. Man, I, God is good. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you so much today. God, we thank you so much today because you gave us the Word of God. 
Lord, truthfully, we don't need a Bible for Christianity to be valid. We just need an empty tomb for that to be valid. But yet, God, you took such care in giving us a revelation of who you are. So that not just so we could follow Christianity by the resurrection, but God, so we could know your thoughts, we could know your heart, we could have your words, we could understand how you think about us, and God, we could understand what's important to you, we could understand how much you love us. God, thank you so much for the word of God. Lord, today, as we bow our heads, we just ask the question we ask every week, Lord, what are you saying to me today? Would you take a moment and pray that? Everyone that can hear me, whether you're online or in person, Lord, what do you what do you want to say to me today? And Lord, we're listening just for you. And Lord, I just pray you would speak to every person. With our heads bowed, no one's looking around. I, I just want to ask if there's someone in the room or even online who needs a, a relationship with Jesus. A relationship with Jesus not asking about your church association or your denominational affiliation. But really genuine, you're like, there's something here, Pastor, something missing in my life. I know I need, maybe maybe I need to be saved. I need to be forgiven. Maybe I need a relationship with God. I want to hear Him and follow Him and trust Him. Whatever it is, I think the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Before we leave, I just want to give you an opportunity. If that's you, no one's looking around. If that's you right now, I just want you to lift your hand up to God. Say, God, here I am. Awesome. And if you're online, same thing. Just lift your hand up. Say, here I am. God, this is me. And so with our heads bowed, if you you lifted your hand, if you're at home or you lifted your hand, then you just pray this prayer, something like this. You can use your words, but you say, God, forgive me of my sin. I believe in you. I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. Jesus, I believe you died for me. So forgive me of anything I've done wrong and help me to live my life for you for the rest of my days. And Lord, I pray as they pray that prayer, God, you'd speak to them, reveal yourself to them. Let them sense and feel your presence. And God, for all of our church today, I just pray there would be a hunger for the word of God. And Lord, as we open the word, God, I pray, I pray we would experience his power in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, can you give Jesus one more praise today? Hey, Pastor Marty here from Pathway Church. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected. And there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app and we are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel. And then also, uh, make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Look. Our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which God made and created and redeemed you for. We love to connect people to purpose. We thank you for giving us this opportunity. And if you're ever in Longview or you are in Longview, I'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend. Listen, I pray God's best for your life. I believe if you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.